Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I am your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we go over the more world building that I created, uh, including a brand new town. I named some stuff uh, and even came out with a fairly interesting shop and shop owner. And we discuss what it truly means to create a world and not just create a campaign. All right. So when last we met uh, some age ago, um, you had posed the question of the town. A fortnight ago. Uh, you posed the question of the town that I created. It doesn't feel like the world. And, you know, that, that really struck me as true uh, after we got done talking because I sat down. I was like, man, there's a lot of really interesting things here as a player. Uh, I would enjoy running around in this town and meeting these people. Uh, but again, this is simply a town. This is not a game world. Uh, so I started right. thinking more grander. Um, and I More grandiose. And I decided that I wanted to kind of keep um, with that idea of the pressure from one group inside the smaller town, which I did give a name. Uh, which you chastised me for last time. So the name of the town that I'm now dubbing the starter town is called St. Onst, or St. Launst, sorry. And this town, uh, when the players start in this town, they have that sense of, oh, there's a lot of, like, really important shit going on here. Like, they've got, we've got these two factions that are fighting and battling each other for power over what to do with this great machine. And I was like, man, this is all great, but this is this is not a, a world, right? Um, so I was like, okay, how do I build off of this? How do I make this even more grander? And I made the mistake of reading The Hunger Games recently. And uh, if you've ever read The Hunger Games or seen the movie, there's all these tiny little districts or, or towns um, that are important for one very particular thing. And then there's this grand high council city, uh, kind of like... Um, um, shoot, I don't know. I can't remember the name of the city in Hunger Games. It doesn't matter. And uh, but they have their fingers in, in every one of these towns, and they essentially control these towns. So now, as the group starts in Saint Launst, and then they go to this high city, this main region, which is called the Grand Vic Fork, um, they realize that there's problems or squabbles compared to what you know the, this big rich city deals with. Um, mm, that's great. So you're you're heading in a really good direction. You're starting to see a bigger picture. You're creating a much bigger picture for your world to exist in, which is what we want to do right now, because we want this to feel like a a large living, larger than life living and breathing campaign setting. Right? That's what we want. What we want to go for. So when people ask questions at the snap, we can say, "Oh, I've got an answer for that," and pretty soon. When you filled out enough of the blanks of those initial questions, some of the questions start to answer themselves because you've created so much in other areas. Um, so you'll see what I mean about that as we continue through and creating this campaign setting. Right. Because like I, like I said, I am working alongside of you and I'm doing a Three Kingdoms type setting. Um, I have a, a beautiful map that I made on the um, the map generator that that we talked about earlier yes. this season, uh, and, 
and it, um, I went back through and I, I colored it in and, and changed some things and I started naming areas and I've named um, it's right now it's all um, it's all kind of working titles right but I'm creating a culture as well um, and I'm gonna write a whole bunch up about it over the next couple of weeks and I've already got a pretty fair amount down but I've got about two or three main concepts that I'm toying with um, that I haven't directly applied to everything yet. So I'm thinking next week I'm going to unveil quite a large portion of this um, to you. And hopefully we're at the same place and we can compare what I've done with what you've done. And you can hopefully look at my work and see each step um, that you've done as well now that you can look at it from the inside out. Yeah. So it it's been kind of interesting because like if anything that I've uh, I've done it's always trying to make you're always trying to make those connections you're always trying to make sure that you have like that common thread that you drag throughout the entire thing um, and the idea that I had was is so this this ever working machine uh, that uh, St. Launce has um, the the grand city the uh, which I've named Bell's Pro they have access to this and actually all of the cities surrounding them have access to this machine for their power, for their electricity or for their um, moving parts to get things done uh, without having to actually generate any uh, energy to do so. Um, and as the campaign starts, you're, the players uh, figure out that they are the last town that has this machine and then there's other machines underground that are no longer working. Um, and it's starting to create this graphs tension between uh, the city and the town itself. And then when I got to that point, that's when I texted you and I was like, man, like I'm having a lot of fun building this world. But now I just want to build this campaign. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like you're actually writing the first story that's going to take place, uh, which is cool because you can start to see the bigger picture and see a story within it. Um, so that's that's really good. That's that's where we want to be, and hopefully there are going to be a lot of those little tendrils of the story that starts to feel their way out into your world. Um, it almost, to me, feels like I'll never get to um, express all of my ideas that I have for my game world in gameplay. So what I've begun doing is using those stories that I come up with that I'd like people to play through but we never do. I'll eventually tell those as stories that have happened somewhere else that the players haven't been or something in the past um but you know hopefully that starts happening for you where you just get more and more ideas and um i always when people get world building i want to caution you about one thing when you when you're doing that a lot of game masters tend to create the this game world and view it as a story you know i got caught up in that early on that's why the my game world unfolded the way it did over the 27-year span that it's now within. Um, because I did that, and I think it's a flaw in my thinking, and I think a lot of people start to think this way, is that as I build this world, this is a story I'm telling. No, it's not. The game world isn't a, sto it's a, it isn't a story to, that you're telling. It's, um, it is and it isn't. Um, it's more of a, a stage for that story to take place upon and you want the stage and the lighting and the backdrop and everything to be perfect so no matter where anyone looks on that stage it's all there there's something there for them to see or if they ask questions there's there's an answer for it or at least 
a common sense response that's elicited from knowing the area. Um, so you might, like for instance, you may have all the imports and exports and um, political structures and social factions and religions and everything done. Uh, but then somebody says, well, what type of fish are in this bay? And then like you just know the area, so you have to come up really quickly. Maybe you hadn't thought that deeply. Fishing is their uh, industry, but I never thought what type of fish so just knowing the area and knowing where it's set and knowing if you fleshed out enough around it well this is a similar city to i don't know let's say london so what's and what are what's in those waters surrounding that area and you can get your answer very quickly as a common sense response so and i think that was the 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 because i and i immediately ran into a wall at this point and i think that's why is because the the player part of me was ready to start playing where the dm part of me should have taken over and said no like we need to flesh we need to flesh out like you were saying the the flora the fauna the um you know like sure this the city's as rich uh you know with cities lined in gold but obviously not everybody here is rich so there are blue collar workers who are they like what do they do um you know stuff like that and that's where i was like oh, well, fart, like, I just want to play this game now. I, I, building this world is, like, I'll, I'll make it up as I go. It's kind of what I thought to myself. And I was like, that defeats the whole purpose of this because you can't you can't make it up as you go. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you got to have those answers at the ready or at least something that would, that something similar that would relate relate to or resemble an answer when a player asks you about X, Y, Z. Exactly. And those things are going to happen anyway, no matter how much you prepare. Um and, you know, a lot of people are going to argue against this concept, and I get I get that, and I get the reasoning, the argument being that why put so much effort into something that your players are never going to appreciate? Well, a gaming world isn't for one game. It's for, um, it's to spark ideas for writing campaigns. Now, if you, if you just pick up Ghosts of Saltmarsh or Storm King's Thunder and play those, um, with your players and make you know alterations within that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about creating your own game world so that you may write upon that stage later endless amounts i've got 27 years out of one campaign setting that i've added on to and changed and um, destroyed and rebuilt um, you know multiple times but it's the same setting the same cities some of the same factions and gods um, the same world essentially and I can't even begin to express how many camp how many campaigns have taken place dozens, um, some being a few sessions and some being forty or a hundred sessions. Um, so that's what the campaign world. If if you want to be a prolific DM in your own campaign setting, that's more so what we're talking about here. Um, so you have a lot more work to do. Uh, and so as we move forward with your setting what point do you feel like we're at what do you feel like now that you've stepped back and um kind of revealed some of what you've been working on where do you think you are now what do you feel like you're missing so or where I, does it look like there's a hole so i feel like i'm missing the i mean essentially what it, the 
what the t- what the world feels like, what the world smells like. Like I'm missing those things. Um, I agree. And I think the reason that I've been struggling with those things is because I, um, well, like I said before, like it. Oh, I, I thought to myself, oh, I'll just make it up, you know. And you can't do that. So I think what I need to do is. I feel like I need some sort of reference. Like I think I feel like I what I need to do is go on like on a Wikipedia and then look up like some small town in Switzerland and then just read about like what their imports and exports are and uh like what their state or what their, their if they have like a country bird or something. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I need to find something that I can root in reality uh for me to expand on in a fantasy setting if that makes sense. Yes, you do, man. And I'm glad that I asked, what do you think because you just gave me a perfect um a perfect response because that's exactly what I was going to tell you to do. My setting that I'm working on right now, the um the Brave World setting, um as the working title goes, is going to be set on a very large um set of islands or um, small, tiny continent, maybe. Um, but it's going to be similar to Australia, New Zealand, that area. So I'm going to look at all of the areas that I, I want in that, that region and that zone of kind of climate and look for all the plants that are unique to New Zealand or Australia. Look and see what type of animals are, are unique there. And then I know exactly what that's going to look like in mine. If there's a smell, you should know because if there's something in this area that's um, that there's a whole lot of that puts off a smell, you're going to want to know what that smells like so you can describe it to your players. And that's going to make your land hum. That's going to make this thing come to life. And that's what's going to make the players take notice that you've put in a little bit more work and research and that next time they come back to um, this main city, what was it called again? Uh, the main city is called Bell's Pro. Bell's Pro. Next time they come back to Bell's Pro, they'll expect those sights, sounds, and smells. You want to know what's being cooked in the market because it's the most common. What's being cooked in the market is going to be what's available most cheaply that most people can pay for. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there trying to turn a bunch of food. So you want to know what those smells are and what those what that sounds like and looks like. Um, and you're exactly right. Finding a place... In a, in a zone that you want to match the climate, you want to match that setting, it's an easy way to do that. And you, you're not going to use everything. You're going to have ideas, um, and I hope you have lots of ideas about animals that you want to invent. Um, you don't have to do a bunch. I just like to invent one or two in each region that exist among a hand-selected um, flora and fauna. You know, know what types of things they eat. Make sure that stuff is... Make sure it can grow there. Make sure it makes sense. But as you get good at that, as you get good at the flora and fauna aspect, that's going to help you decide what monsters you want to have here. Are there things that um, that make this impossible? Is this setting impossible because there are so many goblins about? Or are the goblins an invasive species that have recently come in? Start to t- talk about the story of why what's being interrupted here is there an evil you also want to take a look at when you're starting to do these type of things you want to look at your gods as well um are you using the gods from the book or are you coming up with your own pantheon do you have another pantheon 
a historic pantheon that you want to use an Egyptian pantheon. So um, a Celtic pantheon. I was I was what I was planning on doing was just um, using the, the the gods from the book just so I could kind of speed past that part of it and then if that's something that intrigues me later down the road i was probably going to go back and reevaluate um but that's that to me is kind of like a back burner thing at the moment that's a big task and you're smart for choosing that i did so in the beginning as well i hand selected gods from the book that i thought represented the area and the world because all of the gods aren't available everywhere that doesn't make sense um so maybe you'll take a look at them and hand select a couple of things and there are several source books you have to choose from and don't bloat your pantheon don't make everything available make sure you have a nice balance of things or if they're gods maybe you look at it all and you go i like them all except for these two eh, just kick them out they don't have to exist um, but if they're taking out an important element make sure you replace it maybe from a different pantheon or, or what have you or maybe you make up one god um, whatever you want to do there but make sure that it is defined and make sure that it's in place and makes sense there um, and connect them the reason I say it's important to talk about right now is because we want to connect them to the land we want to connect them to the countryside we want to connect them to our flora and fauna are there things are there problems that happen um, for the animals and wildlife that affect people here a lot of times in um, in history and still today, there's a lot of natural problems that exist and we adapt to it as people. Um, has that happened in this area? That'll also help um, not only marry the flora and fauna to the religion, but again, help this really hum and come to life. Yeah, and uh, that's, uh, it's just funny because it's just that constant, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been more of a player than a DM, so... Like, I'm constantly trying to look at it and like, okay, how would this look like from a player standpoint? Would I enjoy walking into the city? Would I enjoy, oh, and I, that was the other thing um, you had mentioned about, um, I need a shop. Obviously, we need a shop. So I created a shop called the Jolly Fairy. Uh, it's a local catch-all shop of weapons, feed, consumables, materials, etc. It's headed by a gentleman named Lither. He's an all-around nice guy, but loves to deal uh, but loves the deal and goes to, to the end of the land to find one. If you need something really bad, Lither can probably get it for you, although it'll cost you. He is indeed jolly. Um, and I thought, okay, well, again, trying to pull a thread through to make it you know, make it worth something towards the end, and not just a uh, just a you know just a face that you talk to because those are your three letter characters, right? Those are your Joes, your Johns, your Bobs. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, this guy could be like the catch-all guy of if the if for whatever reason I'm not doing a good enough job and they don't know where to go or if they're looking for something that they just can't seem to find. Well, Lither's going to have it. Just go on down to Lither. It may cost you a shitload of money, but he'll be able to get it for you. And then that creates a whole um, you know, explosive thing as well because, well, how can he get all these things? Like, why is it always just the cost of the goods or the service and he can do it like it's not just uh um you know it's never uh, oh shoot I'm trying to think what the word would be but it's never it's never an, it's never oh i can't do that it's uh oh i can do it it just may take me time and money so how does he have access to all of these things like who is this person really the, exactly and i have you know as a player if i come across this fella 
what if I'm not really looking for anything, but man, he's so interesting and so unique. Like, well, what do you have? Right. right. Yep. And as a DM, you get a little stunned. Um, you Or you can be, right? So, well, oh, that's not who this guy is. He gets things that people want, right? But he also has things or he wouldn't be in business. He probably has lots of things. He probably has things that he can offer to everyone, things that everyone wants in this area. Why would they want this? Is there something rare that's, again, connected back to your flora and fauna? What What's exotic here? What, um, uh, you know, do you remember playing in the game where the rangers and druids were... Um, addicted to a leaf that they chewed on yes i do remember that the kuoka yes yeah the kuoka which was um i made i i married two things together and from our world into one thing and i made um this plant have a couple of uh kind of medicinal properties that could be abused and a lot of the rangers got hooked on it and brought it into towns and so that was a way that it connected back to the flora and fauna and made an impact on people. And there was a season connected with it. And there was a cost associated with it when it was in season, when it was out of season. Um, and that, that was really cool. You know, that this character could be that, that type of thing. It had an impact on the game that was um, very colorful and very real that people can relate to. And, and, um, we talked about it uh, in season one of this podcast when we talked about um, eliciting emotions. It's something we can relate to so it, we can think back to how that's affected us or how it affects. So you can see that people are getting addicted to this substance and kind of elicit some real world, even though it's a made up substance that doesn't have very powerful effects. Um you can still see and kind of relate to it why this is a bad thing. It's it's a theme. It's a trope. And it's one that elicits emotions. And that's why I tied it in. Yeah, it's... Um, and again, it's just one of those things where it's like... It's not necessarily... I think that's the other issue that I'm having too. Is it's less about um, creating these things and trying to find meaning for them and then just creating for them because it's just something to look at or it's something to interact with like not not necessarily everything needs to have a rhyme and a reason for your players do you know what i mean like and right that's something that i'm struggling with because i feel like everything that i come up with it's like well it's got to mean something it's got to have or it's got to tie back to something or it has to relate and resemble something where in reality I mean, it doesn't. I mean, the, in our world, we have hundreds of thousands of different types of plants and flowers. I interact with maybe point zero zero one of those things, but I know that they are out there and they exist. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's and you need about point zero one of those things, right? Um, to describe the most common things or the things that define this area. You know, we have um. Uh, an area called Oak Hills near us. Why is it called Oak Hills? It's a hilly region and there are oak trees there. Right. Um, that gave it its name. And it's important to do that in your setting as well. Again, that that means everything to the believability factor. Is this a real place? Those little things, if you know them, and it's and like you said, your players are only going to interact with what you interact with unless you're a botanist. 
in our world or unless you're a an animal doctor or a, a zookeeper <laughs> you know you're only going to interact with or understand a very small portion and those are the things that are going to be the most common the right. most colorful the most noticeable or the most interesting so we'll define just a couple of those things and know that if we get asked i compare this to new zealand or I compare this to Sweden or Switzerland, sure. and I can go back to this town and look and see what's there to provide that answer. And I can actually do it within moments in game. You know, especially if we're playing online, I have a window open. I've Googled it as soon as we started talking about it, and I felt like it was going to be a little more. And even if it didn't come up, guess what I did next? I used what I had just looked up to my advantage and peppered in a little bit more feeling. Right. So by being prepared, you set yourself up for something a little bit more. And knowing that this is a real world place that you can draw from gives you that safety net as well. Right. Yeah. So it's I don't know, I guess I just need to find the um the interesting um inspiration to just sit down and create things that may or may not ever come up that may or may not uh, have purpose or reason other than just to exist to and to make this this particular part of the town or the particular part of this world um, feel a little more fuller feel a little bit more re- realistic but then really truly have no like in game um, meaning well what what tends to happen for me in game is I lay down um, teasers for future games like an NPC you meet is from a faraway city that you've already created and you know what it's like so you know what the, who this NPC is and how different he is and it creates that feeling that he's a foreigner if you've done your homework and you've created your setting to be one that feels alive when you have a guy who dresses differently acts differently and looks different he'll feel very foreign he'll feel very alien to this land which is what you want to be able to do uh, that again will give you so it's not necessarily that we're adventuring there it's not necessarily that we're even going there but being that i've created it i'll intentionally insert something like that into the game or um, i visited there there's a player who visited there or a character who visited there somebody's backstory takes place there Um, and again that just creates that that never-ending super huge feel that we're going for You've got to really put in the groundwork, but it comes out quite beautifully in game. We had a um, um, a gladiator game we played recently. Yeah, we're actually in in book two of it now. And the first series, um, two of the players wanted to be from um, a more savage or more primitive area. So I had an area, and I gave them a couple of choices, and they they actually both chose the same place. And so they were in Tumac together as slaves in this Ludus, training to become gladiators. And they had that brotherhood of a place that's hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of miles away, where they were stolen away from. And so to the other players, they had their own little clique, their own little um, in-game brotherhood. And they even kind of acted similar, and they started to like 
more and more so gravitate toward one another, gravitate toward one another, um, and it created a really interesting feel for the game, in spite of the fact that basically everybody else in the party was from nearby. You know, so it was really cool. It made a really neat divide, and there was so I had so much history that whenever those players asked, "Well, I don't know what what is it like there." I could tell them between sessions or in whispers. Sure. They could role play it out. And it was just like that, at a snap, uh, created for some gorgeous role playing. Yeah, so I think that's uh, so that's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm, I'm really happy with these two cities that I've made. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is probably make one or two more and then really sit down and just start diving into um, just the... the, the I was gonna say the nuancey things, but that's not that's not the right term for it. But um, just the like, minutia, yeah, like the real the like the real um, the, the real means of what it should look like, and then hoping that maybe you know after doing that, some sort of creative line and lineage will be able to be sparked from that that I could maybe tie something else together with it. <laughs> yeah, my recommendation is exactly what you said: find a place that you like. Um, the that maybe the history the lore the setup the feel the look something about a real life thing or something that has a lot of lore that you can totally steal from that and place it into your world look at it say what are the type of fish what are the type of birds what are the type of animals what are the type of berries fruits nuts vegetables drinks why because as soon as you start reading about it that stuff is going to be the first stuff that's thrown at you anyway Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.